Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. You know, I've said to you before that it's been a long time since we've really looked into the book of Revelation. I'm having a great time. The only problem with it is there's so much there that our life is not just long enough to really deal with it all. So we're just hitting a few high spots. Today we'd like to talk to you about the throne in heaven from chapter 4. What goes on in heaven? I know that there is an inward curiosity in your heart and in my heart to know what heaven's going to be like. Uh, we, uh, we know what Hades looks like. Uh, we just have to look around us. But heaven is uh, completely opposite. Let's read in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here. I'd like to encourage you today to underline those three words because, uh, because that was the invitation that uh, John, the writer here, received from the Lord uh, to go on a vision trip. You know, we take young people to different foreign countries. We call it a vision trip. Uh, they go to get a vision, uh, to see what God will do with them for the rest of their life. Here, the Lord is taking John, the writer, on a vision trip. Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. This is the beginning of the section on Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation. Um, we already talked about the two other sections, uh, the things which were at that particular time, the churches and the, the vision that John had in chapter 1 of the resurrected Christ. Uh, we believe that this is a hint of the rapture right here. Come up here. Immediately I was in the Spirit, uh, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, lesser thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Um, Chapter 2 and chapter 3, we believe, describes the church age. That's the age that you and I live in today. God's plan to, to be a, a light for the world is through the church today. At one time, it was uh, through the nation of Israel. When God called Abraham back in the Old Testament to go out, that's what he called him to go out to do, to be a light in the dark world. Uh, but, uh, but when Jesus was here, he inaugurated, he, he founded the church. And he said, listen, now this is going to be your job. And, uh, and so today that's what we try to do. One of these days we're going to hear the words of the Lord come up here or something similar. And the Lord is going to take the church to heaven. Uh, I was uh, reading uh, one old commentary of uh, one of the radio pastors who died quite a number of years ago. And uh, he said, uh, in response to this, that one of these days the church is going off the air. That was his term. 
He's a radio pastor. He said, the church has gone off the air. Um, no more gospel preachers on the church, in the, on the air, in the radio broadcast. Um, the word rapture, as you know, is not used in the Bible. You may have looked for it, but you can't find it. It's just a term that the church has coined, that's all. Uh, actually, uh, it's used in the Latin Bible. Uh, the word rapture is a Latin word. And in the Latin Bible, which was the Bible of the church for a thousand years, it's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, caught up together, raptured. The Latin word is raptured. Uh, the door is opened in heaven. The church is taken away. And I know that maybe you've asked yourself, what are we going to first see in heaven? Well, uh, it makes sense to me that this is what we're going to first see in heaven right here. Verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Uh, I think this is the focal point of heaven right here, uh, the epicenter, the center of attraction. The key word here in this chapter, chapter 4, is the word throne. It's used 14 times. Um, I, I, it's interesting to me that in verse number 3, we find uh, what would seem to be a description of God, All there is, although there is really no description of God, the Father, because He's invisible. Uh, look at verse 3. And He sat there, was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. It doesn't give the dimensions of God, because you can't do that. But it says that whenever you look at the throne, it's going to look like a jasper and a sardis stone. Well, if you look later to chapter 21, verse 11, the Bible says a sardis stone is Crystal clear. Some people have said it's a diamond. Uh, the sardis, or the, that's the jasper. The sardis stone is a ruby. And so you have this clear diamond-type look, this brilliance, and you have this ruby whenever you look at the throne. Uh, there are no dimensions here like false gods. You can always give dimensions to false gods, but not to the great God. Uh, this particular story of the throne right here screams of the sovereignty of God. It really does. Now, I don't really like the word sovereignty very much. I think it's an old word, and I don't think people understand it well. But it simply means God's supreme authority. The word sovereignty means not under the control or power of another. And so here, before God begins to pour out all of His judgments upon planet Earth from chapter 6 all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, he focuses our attention on heaven to show you and me who is in charge in our world. God is in charge. He's on the throne. He has never been dethroned. Never. Psalm 47.8 says this. Let's read it. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And so in the midst of all of the mess that we call our world today, God is reigning over the nations. He sits on his throne. Nothing is a surprise to him. Now, what is the activity of heaven? What's going on there? Uh, and this is just one of the chapters in the Bible that give us just a little insight into that. Verse 4. 
Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, this is interesting right here. Way back in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel said, I watched till the thrones were put in place. He saw those thrones. Uh, there were 24 elders here. Uh, could it be that uh, those 24 elders were representative of all believers of all time? The 12 tribes of Israel, the Old Testament believers, and the 12 apostles of the church. Remember Jesus said to the apostles this, listen, in Matthew 19, 28, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you will have followed me, uh, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, could these twenty-four elders represent uh, the priesthood in their twenty-four divisions in the Old Testament? Uh, you know, today the church is God's priesthood on earth. It really is. Uh, you don't hear this term very often, but I, I want you to remember it because you'll hear it from time to time. It's called the universal priesthood of believers. Uh, here's some good verses about that. Let's look at them right up here. Let's read it together, okay? You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, let's stay there a minute. Uh, Paul is talking to believers here, or excuse me, Peter is talking to believers here, and he says, listen, you're a spiritual house, you're a holy priesthood. And remember, in the Old Testament, the priest offered sacrifices, but since there are no bloody sacrifices today, you and I have been called to offer spiritual sacrifices to God spiritual offerings to the Lord. And this is acceptable only through Jesus Christ because there's no other way to have access to God except through Christ. Let's go to the next verse, okay, and let's read this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a holy priesthood. There is another verse. That's in Revelation. Let's read this. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, I'm going to shock some of you this morning um, to tell you that every single one of us are part of God's priesthood on earth. Now, in our culture, you know, we always say, well, you know, uh, there's the priest, he's over there, or he's down the street, or he's up the street, or he's, uh, that's the priest. Uh, every believer is called a priest in the Bible. And uh, we have a priestly function in the world. Uh, our mission is a priest was a teacher of the things of God. That's what you are. You are a teacher of the things of God. Uh, the priest was the mediator between God and man. It was only through the priest that people could get to God. And uh, you do that mediation work today. You go out and, as Jim told us on his vacation, he was used as a priest uh, to bring somebody to Christ. 
Uh, we offer spiritual sacrifices. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Uh, and so when someone refers to you as Priest Ray, don't be offended, Ray. Uh, that's a biblical term, or Priest John. I don't think we're going to do that anytime soon, but just be ready for it when it happens, okay? Uh, and so these 24 elders represent uh, believers in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And it's interesting here that uh, what their attire was, what they had on, they had, they had uh, garments of grace, clothed in white robes. I know you like to wear different colors, but uh, in heaven I think mostly we're going to wear white. And if God wants it that way, it's okay, amen? Okay. Uh, let's look at, uh, let's hold your place right here and look over to um, chapter 6, verse 11. Okay, if you'll turn there. Chapter 6, verse 11, Then a right, white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren uh, who would be killed as they were was completed. They were given white robes. Look at chapter 7, verse 9. Okay, turn over there. Now, you'll love this verse. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with what? White robes, with palm branches in their hands. Every day is Palm Sunday in heaven. And the, you, you've heard people say, how many people are going to be in heaven? Well, the Bible says a great number, which no one could number. That's a crowd, isn't it? It really is. Um, look to uh, verse number 14. And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the, the ones who came out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Isaiah said in the Old Testament, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red lights crimson, they shall be as wool. Uh, we wear these white robes in heaven to symbolize the purity that we have in Christ. That Christ has forgiven us from all of our sins. And we stand pure in the sight of God. Uh, what a wonderful thing that is. I was just reading this this morning on the treadmill. Now, don't try that. You're going to get knocked off and get killed. you know that? And I'll probably quit it when I fall off. But I got on that treadmill this morning, and I was determined to do my thing. And I have this real nice big New Testament Bible with the words, letters this big. And so I was kind of wobbling and hobbling and reading and I was reading in the book of Romans this morning on the treadmill uh, and uh, I was reading in uh, Romans 8 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus I was reading in Romans 5 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ justification doesn't mean you become perfect it means that God declares you perfect. Think of that. God looks down at you through, through the blood of Christ and he sees a perfect person and I know that shocks you to death. Because when you look at yourself, it's like, 
ugh, right? It's like, ooh. But whenever God looks at you, he sees you perfect because every one of your sins has been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have been made perfect in God's sight. And so whenever you get to heaven, God's going to say, okay, here, now you put this white robe on because you have been made perfect in my sight. And the Bible says here that they were crowned with crowns. Uh, You know, payday is coming one of these days uh, for the Christian. It's not necessarily today. Although I remember uh, what Jerry Falwell used to say all the time many, many years ago. He said, said, if there was no heaven, if there was no hell, I'd rather be a Christian than anything this world has to offer. Because when you live for Christ, it sure does alleviate a lot of the junk of life. It really does. We had one of our teachers in our prayer service this morning downstairs when our young, for our kids uh, pray that the kids would find Christ at an early age so that they wouldn't have to live with the scars that many other people have to live with in our church. Other people that have accepted Christ later in life have a lot of scars to live with. And so we have Sunday school for these kids to hope that they don't have to go down through the dirt and the muck and the mire and the pain and the grief that sin causes in a person's life. Uh, payday. When, uh, when, are, when did these people get these crowns that they have here? Well, let me uh, give you an insight on that. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. I think that we have that up here. It's the reward seat of Christ. Let's read this together. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's only one foundation that really makes any sense, and that's a foundation of Jesus Christ in our life. Okay? Let's read on. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each man's work of what sort it is. Let's stop right there. The Bible says that if we accept Christ and he becomes our foundation, that we begin to build our life on the Lord. But he says here there are different ways, different materials with which you can build. You can build with the real thing, which is precious stone, silver, and gold. Those are good things. Those are sturdy things. They are the best things. But then there is another uh, way to build, and that's with wood, hay, and straw. That's not very sturdy, is it? Whenever the fire comes along, what happens to wood, hay, and straw? It's gone, right? But when the fire hits the gold and the silver, they are purified even more. And so God says, if you build your life on Christ and you build it in the right way, one of these days, uh, your works are going to be tested and judged. Now, always remember this. When a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will never be judged for their sins. Never. The reason why is because Jesus took all your judgment upon the cross. And when he said it is finished, that's what he meant. He said the payment was paid in full. You'll never have to pay when you accept Christ as your Savior for your sins. That's finished. But 
you will be judged for what you did with your life in this world. Not your sins, but your works. I believe every single believer is saved to work for Christ. We are to become worker bees for the Lord. Whenever we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, he puts us to work. How about this verse? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of what? what? Works, lest any man should boast. For we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. We don't work in order to go to heaven. That's impossible. Because heaven is given to us as a free gift by faith in Jesus. Uh, but when we receive the free gift, God says, Listen, you are my masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And so from the moment that we are saved, God has a work for us to do in the world. Uh, he has a job for us to assume. Whenever I became first serious about the Lord, and I, I wanted to do everything. I still do. I'm, uh, I'm addicted to the work of God. Oftentimes, the work of God becomes more important to me than the God of the work. And that's not a good thing. Uh, but I love to do the work of God. When somebody has something to do, I want to get involved in it. Uh, I, I don't want to stand there with my hands in my pocket saying, oh, I wonder if I should do it. I, I want to be the first one in line. Whatever it is, the work of God. You know, that makes life really worth living. Because when you're involved in the work of God, it's something, it's forever work. It's something that will outlast you. Uh, it's a value. But he says there are different ways and different kinds of building material but one of these days, all that's going to be judged. It will be revealed by fire. And so here we go. We stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We call it that. I like to call it the reward seat of Christ. One of these days, we're going to be rewarded for the work that we do for Christ. You're going to be called up before the Lord. And the Lord is going to put all your works right out there in front of you. And he said, now we're going to, now we're going to light the fire. Are you ready? And I told the people last night on Saturday night, I... I think in my life and ministry, I've done a lot of things that are going to go. Whew. I've done a lot of things for the Lord, and you know who it was for? It wasn't for Him, it was for me. Because serving the Lord makes you feel good, serving the Lord makes you build your ego sometimes. People pat you on the back and say, boy, I'll tell you what, that was really nice. And you say, I know it. <laughs> I knew that all the time. God's sure fortunate to have me on his team. Now, you know, that's the attitude at the judgment seat of Christ that's going to go. But there's another attitude. I think there are a few things I've done along the line that might last the test by fire. But I think there's an awful lot of things that I've done, not for him, but for me. Uh, but uh, all that will be revealed at the reward seat of Christ. Uh, 
just something for us to think about. Today, look at, uh, look at verse number 5. We're back in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. Then, uh, then from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, seven lamps. Uh, in chapter 4, we find that uh, this is a throne of judgment. Whenever this particular event takes place and the church is taken off the earth and we are rewarded for our works, God ascends his throne of judgment. Uh, the interesting, the wonderful thing about this is the fact that God has not ascended his throne of judgment yet. That's why, and I use the term, God hasn't pulled the trigger. God is still sitting on the throne of grace in heaven. And he's still extending his hand of mercy to people because there is still time for people to come to Christ. And so, uh, and so we love verses like uh, Hebrews 4.16. I don't know whether we have that. We do. Let's read this together. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Look at that. The throne of grace. That's what God is sitting on today. God is opening His hands to the world and saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly, and you'll find rest to your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, when you follow the Lord, He lifts your burdens. When you follow the devil, you get more burdens. And life gets awful and terrible and dark. And so the Lord sits on the throne of mercy today and he invites everybody to come. But one of these days, uh, his throne of mercy and grace will turn to a throne of judgment. And so when God, listen to this. Well, this is so good. When God is uh, judging the world, I want to show you this morning, and this is our final thought, what the 24 elders will be doing. Look at verse 10, chapter 4. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their what? Crowns before the throne saying, this is what you and I and every believer will do. Uh, whenever we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we get our crowns, rewards for work that didn't go, I'd like to do that. We get our crowns. They're not for us to wear around and say, hey, look at me. Look how many crowns I have. They are to give us things that we can present to God in worship. And the Bible says they cast their crowns. Can you imagine that? Before the throne of God. The people that you and I don't even know of that have been rewarded, they've got all kind of crowns for their faithful service to the Lord. And they come before the throne of grace and they kneel down before God and they take off their crowns and they cast them before the throne and say, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. You are the king, eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Boy, won't that be something? Won't that be something? Now, I don't know uh, what it will be like for those people who've 
stand at the judgment seat of Christ, become believers and don't grow as a Christian? Do you know people like that? Somewhere along the line, they made a decision for Christ, but they never really grew very much and they, like, um, they just never took off and they've never served the Lord very well. Uh, remember, heaven is not earned. You don't have to serve the Lord very well in order to get to heaven. But it's nice to serve God very well to receive some crowns that you can offer back to Christ. And what a, what a, what a joy that is. To be able to, to, be able to live the, your life for Christ and uh, go out into the world and make your way in the world and also be rewarded. Because the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Boy, we have some people in our church, they're going to be rewarded well. Matt Pettigrew, I've mentioned him to you before, he prays three or four hours every day. You don't even know him. There he is in the back. I just saw him. Hi, Matt. Raise your hand back there. There's the man right there. Whenever he stands at the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord's going to summon me over and says, John, will you carry his crowns for him? And by the way, when you deliver them to his house, cut his grass too, okay? So yes, sir. We have people all over our church. You don't know their name, but God does. They're great workers for Christ. Uh, they're going to get rewarded one of these days. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I wonder today, uh, I hope I've jogged something in you. I hope I've afflicted you a little bit this morning. Uh, to realize that one of these days that we have to stand before the Lord. We have to uh, be judged for our works. You know, what we've done since we have received Christ as our Savior. Uh, did we serve Christ because we wanted to, we loved Him, or did we serve Christ because somebody put the pressure on us? So we, it was kind of like peer pressure. People look at us wrongly if we don't do something in the church. Well, that's the wrong motivation. The right motivation is to serve Christ because he hung on the cross for you, because he died in your place. The right motivation is uh, to serve Christ because he's given you an opportunity to participate with him. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, a judgment is coming. And uh, it will not pass you by. And the only way that you can avoid judgment is by accepting Jesus as your Savior. And uh, accepting Him into your heart and inviting Him into your life, that's the only way that you can avoid judgment. And so I want to invite you, if you've never accepted Christ really deeply in your heart, maybe you did it one day half-heartedly, I want to encourage you today to do it with your whole heart, okay? Just open your heart for real to Christ and begin to follow Him with passion and love. 
If you're here today as a Christian and maybe you haven't grown very much, maybe you're, you know, you look around and you see other people so excited about the Lord and your excitement level is not very high. I want to encourage you to come to Christ today. Say, Lord, put a fire in my heart. Make me a, a firebrand for you. Give me your enthusiasm so I can serve you with all my heart. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love. I pray now that as we uh, sing our invitation song that you will move in among us today, Lord. I pray that you'll give us freedom to come to the altar here and pray about our life. Maybe, maybe there are some in our church that need to come and cast themselves at your mercy, Lord, and say, save me, come into my heart, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Maybe there are some who need to come and pray for their backslidden life their careless attitude, their indifferent spirit. Lord, just give us the freedom to do that in our church today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. And if you'd like to come and pray here at the altar, please come right now and kneel and speak to the Lord and respond to the message today.